Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Another major train derailment in less than a month. This time it's a Union Pacific coal train in Nebraska. And speaking of derailment, the EPA is ordering Norfolk Southern to clean up the Ohio spill in East Palestine. Meanwhile, former President Trump plans to visit the site. Dueling speeches by President Biden and President Vladimir Putin. What they each announce as China's role in the war in Ukraine draws attention. And do big tech companies have too much power and too little liability? The Supreme Court hears its first case on Section 230. The decision could change the internet as we know it. Another train derailment in the Midwest. A Union Pacific coal train derailed in Nebraska. This is the third major derailment in the region in less than a month. A Union Pacific freight train derailed near the town of Gothenburg, Nebraska early Tuesday morning at around 1.45 a.m. local time. It had around 30 cars carrying coal. Emergency hazmat crews responded to the scene. There were no flames or smoke from the derailment. Union Pacific Railroad said the crash doesn't appear to pose a threat to local residents. The railroad company told media outlets, quote, no one was injured. Cleanup has begun with heavy equipment on site. An investigation into the derailment is currently underway. This is the third major train derailment in the Midwest in less than a month. On February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. About a week ago, authorities confirmed a train derailed near Detroit, Michigan. It was also carrying some hazardous materials. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And the EPA has ordered railway company Norfolk Southern to handle all of the cleanup from the train derailment that happened over two weeks ago. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. 18 days after a northern southern freight train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, the EPA announced a legally binding order on Tuesday. It orders the railway company to pay for and handle all cleanup of the spill, which ignited into a days-long fire. That includes cleaning local residences and businesses. Meanwhile, the Department of Transportation is questioning whether or not cost-cutting measures caused the derailment. In a statement on Tuesday, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said, profit and expediency must never outweigh the safety of the American people. The statement accompanied an announcement from the DOT calling for Norfolk Southern and the entire freight railroad industry to act immediately to improve its safety protocols and called on Congress to do its part, such as increasing the maximum fines that the DOT can issue to rail companies for violating safety regulations. Buttigieg is calling for more inspections on trains carrying flammable materials and phasing in safer tank cars by 2025. He's also pushing for a minimum of two crew members during most rail operations. But in recent weeks, Buttigieg has been criticized for not visiting the site of the wreckage, and he's still not ready. On a Monday call with reporters, Buttigieg said he would visit East Palestine when the time is right. Although he said he was interested in getting to know the residents, he explained the protocol for addressing major disasters is to first defer to the National Safety Transportation Board. And Buttigieg isn't the only one being criticized. The mayor of East Palestine on Monday told Fox News President Biden's visit to Ukraine was the biggest slap in the face. That tells you right now he doesn't care about us. So Agreed. Uh, he can send every agency he wants to, but uh, I found that out this morning in one of the briefings that he was in the Ukraine giving millions of dollars away to people over there and not to us, and I'm furious. 
While Biden shows solidarity with Ukraine, former President Trump has scheduled a visit to Ohio. In a Truth Social post on Saturday, Trump said as soon as he announced he was going, Biden said an emergency team would go. He said hopefully he will also be there. Trump will visit East Palestine on Wednesday. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Another disaster. Two people killed and more injured following an explosion at an industrial zone in Florida this morning. The blast caused a massive fire that engulfed multiple buildings. It happened at a welding business in Medley, Florida near Miami at around 8.30 a.m. Firefighters from Miami-Dade Rescue Fire Rescue arrived at the scene and put out the fire by 10 a.m. It's unclear right now what caused the fire. Miami-Dade police say they are currently investigating. At least two people were killed and three were injured. Footage shows the flames engulfing several vehicles and structures. And over in Poland today, President Biden vowing to maintain U.S. support for Ukraine. And now other potential 2024 contenders are weighing in as the amount of aid comes into question. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Following a surprise visit to Kyiv on Monday, President Biden gives a major speech in Warsaw, Poland, and renews his vow to continue supporting Ukraine. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. And he underscores that his administration's commitment to Ukraine could be for the long term, even as some Republicans in Congress are questioning the amount of aid. The defense of freedom is not the work of a day or of a year. And we will not tire. But as Biden makes a statement with his trip to Ukraine and then Poland, other potential 2024 contenders are weighing in on the now year-long war. In a Monday speech, former President Trump called for cutting aid to Ukraine, saying, quote, continuing to pour money in is delaying a settlement. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says U.S. commitment to Ukraine shouldn't get out of control as China is a bigger threat. These things can, can escalate, and I don't think it's in our interest to be getting into proxy war with China getting involved. Meanwhile, in a Tuesday speech in Moscow, 4%. Russian President Vladimir Putin announces that Russia is suspending participation in the New START Treaty, a key nuclear arms control treaty between the U.S. and Russia. Biden did not address Putin's announcement on Tuesday, but did take aim at the Russian president by saying, President Putin chose this war. Every day the war continues is his choice. All this, as sources told the Wall Street Journal that China's Xi Jinping is heading to Moscow in the coming months. And China already sent its top diplomat to Moscow on Tuesday, even amid U.S. allegations that Beijing is considering providing lethal support to Russia. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. The New START Treaty was signed in 2010 and sets limits on the nuclear arsenals of both the U.S. and Russia. The two countries are thought to hold about 90 percent of the world's existing nuclear warheads. The quantity is enough to destroy Earth many times over. Putin's announcement to suspend the treaty today was part of his national address on the war in Ukraine. Putin's remarks were part of a major address to the parliament in Moscow. The speech came one year after he ordered the invasion of Ukraine. Flanked by four Russian tricolor flags, Putin told Russia's elites that the war was forced upon them. He accused the U.S.-led NATO alliance of fanning the flames of the conflict. Responsibility for fomenting the Ukrainian conflict, for its escalation, and for the increasing number of victims lies entirely with Western elites. And, of course, the current regime in Kiev. 
Again, he justified the war as a legitimate response to what he called threats from the West as well as Ukraine. We protect people's lives, our homeland, and the West's goal is unlimited power. Throughout his nearly two-hour speech, Putin vowed to advance the battles in Ukraine, claiming it's impossible to defeat Russia. He also touched on issues, including Moscow's annexation of four regions of Ukraine and the impact of Western-led sanctions on the Russian economy. Tens of thousands have died since the conflict started in Eastern Europe. Moscow has suffered three major setbacks on the battlefield, but still controls about one-fifth of Ukraine. And in his speech today, Putin threatened to restart nuclear tests if the U.S. did. He also said Russia was putting new strategic systems on combat duty, though it was not immediately clear which systems he was referring to. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called the pause on the nuclear pact deeply unfortunate, and analysts are growing concerned. Next, we hear from Patty Jane Geller and her assessment of these developments, especially in light of the rising U.S.-China tensions. Geller is a senior policy analyst for nuclear deterrence and missile defense at the Heritage Foundation's Center for National Defense, and I spoke with her earlier today. Patty Jane Geller, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, Putin says that he's pulling back from Russia's last remaining nuclear arms control pact with the U.S. How serious is this, in your view? It's absolutely serious. Without the arms control treaty, the U.S. and Russia lose that uh, transparency and uh, dialogue that we've been used to having regarding uh, our nuclear forces. Um, but it's not just serious. It's also not surprising, unfortunately. Uh, Russia has violated nearly every arms control agreement that it's it's ever been party to. Uh, you know, it recently violated the INF treaty, the Open Skies treaty. Uh, a new start is just the latest. Um, so I think the important takeaway is that the U.S. can no longer rely on, on arms control with Russia uh, for our security. You know, our top priority has to be uh, maintaining a strong nuclear deterrence and being able to, to compete and come from a position of strength with Russia uh, where necessary. And you've said that China's on its way to catching up with or surpassing the U.S. in nuclear capability. If Beijing does start supplying weapons to Russia, as the U.S. warned this week that it might do, does that change the nature of the threat of nuclear war? Yeah, so we recently learned that um, Russia, China might start providing uh, weapons to, to Russia in its fight with uh, Ukraine. And this is the, the latest example of the growing military cooperation uh, between Russia and China. Um, you know, we haven't seen any cooperation at the nuclear level yet. Um, it's all been conventional. Russia and China have conducted military exercises uh, of its of its navy and air forces in the Indo-Pacific, for example. Um, but we have to look for potential next steps. And if Russia and China continue their military cooperation, uh, it could get up to the nuclear level. Um, we have to watch for Russian and Chinese uh, exercises using their nuclear-capable missiles or bombers. Um, you know, you mentioned that China is on its way to uh, surpassing the U.S. and its nuclear capabilities. Well, uh, Russia has a lot of experience with, with building nuclear weapons. It's also got a lot of leftover nuclear material. Uh, another thing we should be worried about is, you know, what if Russia decides to help China uh, develop its nuclear program, perhaps in response to China's aid in Ukraine? Um, th these are just more examples of the growing threats to the United States um, and the fact that the U.S. has to do more to strengthen its military to, to prepare uh, for, for potential growing Russian-Chinese military cooperation. So what would it take, do you think, to deter this 
potential collaboration? Yeah, it's going to take a significant investment uh, to, to strengthen U.S. nuclear forces. Uh, the current U.S. nuclear force, you know, the number and the types of nuclear weapons we have, uh, they were all developed during the Cold War. Um, for example, our, our nuclear missiles, uh, the long-range missiles that can strike uh, Russia and China, were designed in 1960 uh, and deployed in 1970. They were supposed to retire in, in 1980, but we've been squeezing the life out of them since then. Uh, so all of our forces, they're really old. Um, the U.S. is currently working on a significant modernization program to replace those nuclear forces with new ones. But it's taking a really long time. Uh, and quite frankly, this current nuclear modernization effort is not going to be enough. Um, the U.S. will need to invest in its nuclear forces to develop uh, more and more advanced capabilities. Uh, you know, nuclear deterrence is, is the number one priority for U.S. national security. Uh, and if there's anything we need to uh, invest in or spend money on and, and take time to develop, it's our nuclear forces, because what's at stake here uh, is, is nuclear war and the risk of deterrence failure with, with Russia and China. Do you think we have enough time? You, you point out an exact problem that we're facing. Um, it does take a lot of time to develop nuclear forces. And un unfortunately, the infrastructure that the U.S. has to uh, build new nuclear weapons, it has atrophied over time. You know, the U.S. is actually the only nuclear weapon state that does not have the capacity to produce nuclear weapons right now. Uh, even North Korea can produce more nuclear weapons than the U.S. can. Uh, so the U.S. is working on restoring some of these capabilities, but we won't be able to produce new nuclear weapons until at least the end of the decade. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying we have to strengthen our nuclear forces, but it will take time, and we, we don't even have a lot of the infrastructure we need to do so. So I think this highlights the point. We need um, more attention to the nuclear deterrent. Um, the, the president needs to uh, talk about this to the American people and direct uh, the DOD to strengthen our nuclear forces. And, and we have to be ready to compete with Russia and China in the nuclear arena. Patty Jane Geller, nuclear deterrence analyst at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thanks again for having me on. The Supreme Court today heard its first case on Section 230, a law that protects big tech. The decision on the case could make major changes across the internet. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Back in 2015, 130 people were killed in an Islamic terrorist attack in France, including an American college student who was studying abroad, Naomi Gonzalez. Her family later sued Google for recommending terrorist videos on YouTube, which is owned by Google. Their lawsuit claims YouTube video recommendations helped spread the Islamic State's message and recruit terrorists. But a lower court dismissed the case, saying Google was protected by Section 230. The law protects tech companies from being responsible for content posted by third parties. The Supreme Court has now taken up that case. This is the first time the highest court has examined the scope of Section 230. Justice Elena Kagan commented. Every other industry has to internalize the costs of his conduct. Why is it that the tech industry gets a pass? A little bit unclear. On the other hand, I mean, we're a court. We really don't know about these things. You know, these are not like the nine greatest experts on the Internet. <laughs> the attorney for Google, Lisa Black, said the algorithm YouTube uses for recommendations is neutral. And Justice Neil Gorsuch added this. Another problem also is that it begs the question what a neutral rule is. Is an algorithm always neutral 
don't many of them uh, seek to profit maximize or promote their own products? Some might even uh, prefer one point of view over another. New York City Mayor Eric Adams also commented on big tech's algorithms. Some of these things we're calling our young people to do, how to define in themselves, you know, uh, depression, teaching suicide. Uh, I mean, this stuff is just how to make a gun. And then they act like they're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> you know, they know the algorithms. They know who they're going after. They know what they're seeking. And then when you look at what happened in Buffalo with the Buffalo shooter, he was radicalized on social media. Social media is impacting our lives, and they're robbing our children of their innocence. And I just believe on a national level that I think the national government must come in and say, what is the corporate responsibility of social media? Some justices also said it should be up to Congress to make changes to Section 230. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear another case about the issue on Wednesday, this time involving another Islamic terrorist attack in Istanbul, Turkey. The court's rulings are expected by early summer. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, locals leave flowers in front of the home of a Los Angeles auxiliary bishop who was shot to death over the weekend. A suspect has been arrested. And an Olympic figure skating a year after her gold medal performance, the doping case against Russia's Kamila Valieva took a turn today. Could a resolution finally be coming? That and more coming up. Authorities in Los Angeles have arrested a suspect in connection with the shooting death of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell. Meanwhile, the local community mourns the loss of the beloved clergyman. Our team heard from people who knew the bishop today. They left flowers in front of his house and recalled his heartwarming personality. Locals left flowers and set up a makeshift memorial in front of Bishop David O'Connell's home in Hacienda Heights. Jackie Moreno was one of them. She met the bishop through local events and attended his bishop ordination in 2015. He's um, a very heartwarming, loving, compassionate man um, with strong devotions to our Blessed Mother. Um, he helped a lot in the communities and, you know, ministering and had a passion for, um, you know, the immigrants and being very pro-life. Others also remember him for his kindness. Because he was an archbishop, very charitable to immigrants. He helps immigrants a lot. That's what hurts the most. Moreno was at work at the archdiocese when she was emailed about the news. My heart is just broken. I just, I, I, I had to come here, you know, just to be where his last breath was taken. You know, um, yeah, I'm just, I just, I'm still amazed and astonished that this has happened. It's such a tragedy. You know, our church has lost a really, really great man. She says she is not aware of anyone who may have conflicts or grudges against the bishop. A SWAT team arrested 65-year-old Carlos Medina at his home in Torrance, California on Monday. He is the husband of the bishop's housekeeper. 
A caller told authorities that Medina was acting irrationally and had made comments about O'Connell, quote, owing him money. The motive for the homicide is unclear and still under investigation. And staying in California, in the early hours of this morning, the Los Angeles County Fire Department search and rescue team returned home from the earthquake disaster site in Turkey. NTD's Jackie Rios spoke with the team. The Los Angeles County Fire Department's urban search and rescue team of more than 200 people along with 12 canines are returning home after a 14-day deployment to Turkey following the earthquake that rocked that country and Syria. Family, friends, fellow firefighters welcomed the team home in the early hours on Tuesday. As a team, you tirelessly worked from the moment you landed to the minute you left to conduct more than 6,000 building assessments, to look for signs of life, and to carefully assess homes, hospitals, and other critical buildings. The aftermath of the earthquakes in both Turkey and Syria have been devastating for both countries, with thousands of deaths and misplaced families. A lot of what we saw was um, large multi-story apartment complexes. Um, that kind of just came down pancake style, floor, 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 floor. Um, so what once was a seven, eight story apartment complex was now um, only about 30 feet high from the ground level. One member, John Paul Hilsabek, described how the building structures allow people to survive under the rubble. Those people were extremely lucky in that the way that the buildings collapsed, it created like tombs around them, and that's what able to kept. That's what's. That's how they were able to stay stay warm and still stay alive. Search and rescue members, along with the Turkish military, the country's search and rescue team, and its people, came together to assist and help those impacted by the earthquakes. Other members in attendance were the Turkish Consul General of Los Angeles and members from the Turkish community, who came to personally thank the team. I cannot explain how grateful we are from thousands of miles away from my own country. You came to help. This is something we will never forget. Traveling thousands of miles, the search and rescue team consisted of firefighters, paramedics, physicians and structure engineers, along with incredible canines who search for people trapped under the rubble. Jackie Reels, NTD News, Pacoima, California. And now, over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The World Anti-Doping Agency is appealing the case of Russian figure skating sensation Kamila Vileva to the Court of Arbitration for Sport after a Russian investigation found her not guilty of a doping infraction. Vileva became a top headline at last winter's Olympics when she became the first woman to land a quadruple jump at the Games during the team competition. But it was soon revealed that she had just recently tested positive for a banned substance at the Russian National Championships in December of 2021. At the time, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, however, allowed Vileva, who was a favorite to win gold, to continue at the Games, saying the 15-year-old was a protected person. For her part, Vileva said the positive test was from a mix-up with a relative's heart medication. Meanwhile, U.S. figure skating said earlier this month that their skaters, who finished second behind Team Russia, were frustrated by the lack of a final decision. The World Anti-Doping Agency is seeking a four-year ban, including retroactive disqualifications, 
from the time of the positive test, which would include last year's Olympics. And in NBA news, Chicago Bulls guard Lonzo Ball has been ruled out for the year after continuing leg discomfort following knee surgery for the season. The former second overall pick in the draft had yet to play this year and hasn't appeared in a game since January of 2022. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, no NBA games but a big night in the college ranks. 12 ranked teams are in action including a pair of showdowns in the Big 12 as 9th ranked Baylor plays at number 14 Kansas State and number 8 Texas hosts 23rd ranked Iowa State. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has nine games on tap, including the Edmonton Oilers and two-time MVP Connor McDavid, who leads the league in both goals and assists. They host the Philadelphia Flyers. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.